Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of soundcloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station. We have a Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation, so make sure to follow us. Tonight, our topic is called When Mediation Isn't the Answer in Workplace Conflict with a trio of visitors, Debbie Kassir, Angela Bradley, and Ron DiPaola. Welcome to the program tonight. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice Thank, to be here. Thank you very much. Can anybody listening guess which one was which of those voices? <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, I'm not sure. We'll have to think of a way to uh, recognize you some way. Anyways, I'll start with you, Debbie. You've been here a few times. Yes, I have. It's been fun. Yeah. Is that why you keep coming back? I do. <laughs> Just for the experience. Each time is different and always uh, a lot of fun. We always try to ensure that fun is injected as part of this experience. Absolutely. And you can let your colleagues know from that. <laughs> so each of you just share a bit of information about your professional background. Do, uh, do you want yeah. me to start? Yeah, please. Um, so I have my own business called Beyond Conflict. And I focus on three different areas, mediation, conflict management, coaching, and facilitation. And it's a relatively new business. It's just a a few years old. And this past year, I, for the first time, taught a course on the practice of mediation that was part of a mediation and alternative dispute resolution course in one of the community colleges. So that was an interesting experience. Over to you guys. Angela. Hi. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here tonight. Um, I am a labor and employment lawyer by training. I've been uh, in the field for about 20 years, and in 2015, I started my own practice in uh, workplace investigation and mediation specifically. And uh, I also work on respectful workplace policies and programs, particularly since the Occupational Health and Safety Act was amended. We have uh, a lot of requirements to also work on the policies and make sure that uh, we're trying to to get workplaces with uh, who are aware of harassment and conflict and uh, escalating bullying. So I do work in uh, harassment or personal uh, personal harassment or bullying and human rights um, mm-hmm. grounds as well. Yeah, and Ron. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's Ron. If you didn't recognize the voice. Um, actually, for the past six years, I've been I've been involved in mediation. I began uh, my practice in the community area. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I branched off into family. I've done a significant amount of work in workplace conflict as, as well. Uh, I, as as Debbie, have my own practice. Uh, I'm involved with mediation, as I mentioned. Also involved with conflict coaching and training. Okay. So Debbie, when you know you've been here periodically as a recurring person visitor, 
And when I suggested the next time, you proposed a panel. Why did you propose a panel? I just thought the other times I've been on, it's just been me speaking. And I just thought uh, it's always an interesting dynamic when you bring a couple other people together who have different, slightly different um, focuses and different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it would make it a much richer conversation. I thought it would be nice to change it up a bit. Absolutely. And, you know, just because people hear the word mediator, the uh, idea is that not all mediators are the same. Exactly. We have different philosophies, different approaches, different ways of practicing our practice and our profession. So I think it's enriched by having three of you here and having this conversation tonight. In terms of uh, each of you, and you do different areas of workplace stuff to assist at the workplace. Why do you focus your professional practice on the workplace? Anybody? Yeah, Angela. I just, well, I find... Um you know, we spend so much time at work. It's a very important part of everyone's life. But on the flip side, what keeps me interested is that there are an infinite number of things that people can do at work. It's never boring. No two cases are alike. And um, it's just intensely human. I love human stories, and that's what keeps me in in, in the workplace uh, field. So, Rather than family? There are, that's interesting, when Debbie, Ron, and I met earlier this week, we were talking about the parallels between family law or family um, mediation and, and the workplace. And when I first started out in the late 90s in law, I thought anything but criminal, anything but family. And now, now with occupational health and safety and escalating sexual harassment to sexual violence, I'm getting closer to the criminal law. And it... Really, every year that goes by, I see the parallels between family and the workplace, just the, the power dynamics, the authority figures. Um, and, and I would say, and I'd add that, you know, people spend a lot of their lives working at the workplace. Absolutely. Yes. And that becomes a form of family. Yeah, well, that, does. That's, as a matter of fact, that's, I think we coined that phrase that it really, in essence, is your second family. Mm -hmm. right. You may spend even more time. Technically, Correct. at the workplace and your home life. Absolutely. Correct. The the other thing that I like about family is um, I echo what um, Angela had said. What I like about family or what, uh, workplace rather is um, people, for the most part, have continuing relationships, and so there's a lot invested in trying to make it better so that their life in the workplace is better. And in a lot of the mediations I've done, um, a big source of the uh, problem has been really poor communication and I found with some of these people when the conflict hasn't carried on too long it was possible to change the relationship around by um, helping them, giving them the tools to communicate better and help them realize that they weren't communicating as effectively as they could and so I, I find as a, as a mediator that makes me feel really good when you can see that you can be effective and, and creating positive change. And I would think too when you provide the means to assist and support people at the workplace, those skill sets are transferable to their other relationships, including their Absol intimate and family relationships. Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I may say, I when I was, I worked in the corporate world for well over 20 years, uh, and primarily in, in management roles. And as a manager, I think we can all relate to the fact that not 80 to 90 percent of your time is spent managing disputes, managing conflict between employees, between clients, and so forth. So it was that that experience that allowed me to develop a real strong set of dispute resolution skills over time, and hence a real passion and interest in the field of mediation. So that's really 
why the workplace is so important to me. I've had a, I've spent a lot of time in that arena, so I truly understand how it can negatively impact and how people are really challenged uh, with how to deal with conflict in a more peaceful manner. We'll yeah. say. And you mentioned that you have a basis, a foundation of mediation from community. That is correct. So what? How did that contribute to your development? Um, yeah, uh, you know, when we talk about the overlap, you know, when it comes to community or family, it's it's all about helping people um, or facilitating an, or providing a facilitation for people to have those kind of difficult conversations with one another in a more respectful manner. Now, that applies whether you're neighbors, whether you're siblings, uh, spouses, or even colleagues at work. There's there is there are some there are some common ground there. Uh, and and that applies across the board. So I think that base certainly uh, helped me give help give me a good foundation into the work I do currently today. Yeah, Greg, I, um, something you said just reminded me of something when you said about how what we do in the workplace can translate into people's personal lives. Um, one of the things I focus on in one of the pre-mediation sessions when I'm working with people is their use of language. Sometimes people use language that really incites the other person or aggravates the situation. Mm-hmm. And I work with them to see if there's a way that they can still get their intent across but use different language. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely something that is transferable in their personal lives. Because I think people often get reactionary, you know, they're reactive rather, and they don't understand how their language can actually make things worse. Yeah, and like yesterday, I provided a training, sensitive communication skills, and part of the content was on uh, nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg, Mm -hmm. and then one of the participants is saying, I didn't realize words could be violent, and so, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Some of the, I'm, I'm starting a list that I try to avoid, I'm trying to take violent terms out, and there are so many, just like, the general rule of thumb, mm-hmm. well, that has a violent underpinning. The, the the width of a stick or diameter of a stick that you, as a man, could uh, beat your wife with way back when. So um, it's it's very interesting how much uh, how, how much violent vocabulary has seeped into mm-hmm. our everyday. And people just don't challenge it or question it. It's just status quo. It's re- they repeat it and it. It just reinforces that whole culture of it's acceptable, it's a norm. Exactly, yeah. That's part of helping people to transition from where they're at to hopefully a better place. Exactly, yeah, and I think that's a really important thing as mediators to help people understand that. And also we have a caller, and the caller wants to engage in the conversation. Hello, caller. Good evening, evening, everyone. How is everyone? Good evening. How are you? Thank you. you. What, What do you want to say there? Quick question. Just wanted to get your perspective on um, what do you find to be the greatest challenge when dealing with employers uh, with regards to conflict in the workplace? Any one of you three. Um, I think um, a number of different things. Um, One of them is some environments I find are really conflict avoidant. And um, and so that becomes challenging because people just, it's not um, acceptable People don't feel that they have permission to address conflicts, and so it, they sort of try to suppress it, and conflict can never, in my view, ever be suppressed. Another thing is um, I find with conflict you need to look at the larger context, so it's not just about necessarily the two people. It could be a, about the structure that the organization has set up, 
and they can create it in such a way that it's contributing to the conflict. So to really get rid of the conflict, you need to not only address the conflict between the two individuals, you need to look at the larger picture. More systemic thing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. That's, that's a great point, Debbie. I mean, the, the other point that I think has, needs to be made is, is education. Uh, you know, a lot of, although a lot of organizations now have started to embrace the mediation process in the workplace, it's still very much in its infancy. And I think where the challenges lie ahead, um, good challenges, I would say, is just in educating employers on the mediation process mm-hmm. and, and what needs to happen for it to be effective. Uh, a lot of times, You'll see, you'll see employers look to look to professionals like ourselves and look for a quick fix. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a quick fix. Come in and do a uh, two-hour workshop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've had this issue going on for months or even years. Right. Give us a two-hour and, like, yes. and get you leave and our employees are at a different place. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Angela. Yeah. I, I think one of, one of the um, disconnects is is that so much with every employer, and I, I used to, most of my work is in social services, education, and healthcare, so very fee sensitive. So that's part of come in and fix it because oh. it's very, but because, you know, we can only afford so much. We have a we limited have a budget, budget for yeah. this. Yeah. I'm finding almost everyone now is fee sensitive. <laughs> um, so it's really, from our perspective, on this side is is really managing client expectations. From the employee side, I think it really, from my experience both in investigation and mediation, I highly recommend having a support person if you're a unionized environment, really seeking out union representation. or you know, having someone with you who can support you through if you're if you're experiencing workplace conflict, it needs to be called out. And if if the policy is good enough, they should have a complaint process and an investigation process and a resolution process within your policy. Now, policies vary; it can depend on how large or small or sophisticated or unsophisticated the employer is with their human resources. So. It's uh, there are are a lot of factors, but my biggest suggestion for employees is to really make sure um, if you're not completely comfortable with the the system, I will say that you're entering into, is to have somebody there who can support you through it, whether it's a union representative or if you if you have a human resources person, and just really learn like you know what. This, what system I'll say you're working with? What kind of uh, you know? What does your have? What does your employer have in place? And the policy is the best start. So, caller, how do you? Anything to add to? You there? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank, thank you for those great answers. It seems to me it's as much a matter of openness on the part of the co- of the uh, company, even as sole proprietor and a willingness to acknowledge that there may be an issue to be resolved. Absolutely. First and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that they want to assist and create a better, a safer space because a safer space is a more productive space yeah. for the employer. Definitely. 
so. have to be willing to acknowledge that that, uh, that an issue exists, and therefore that's the first step, I would think, for them to, to solve that particular issue. Yeah, I think um, another thing that um, just came to mind is I think um, sometimes companies view conflict as being a negative thing, and it isn't necessarily. I mean, I think conflict is just part of a life, and it's not necessarily negative. You can have um, productive conflict, and I think if organizations are of that mindset that conflict is just part of a life, um, they're more likely to address conflict sooner than later, and when you deal with it sooner, it's it's easier to find a resolution than if it goes on for three years. Yeah, being more progressive and more proactive exactly. with regard to, right. instead of just uh, being the turtle, putting your head inside the shell or within the sand and then saying, oh, I hope this goes away. Or someone else comes in and, and fixes it for us. Exactly. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, it, instead of treating conflict as something taboo. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity. Place, it's an opportunity, exactly. It yep. is an opportunity. Okay. That's great. Thank you very much. You're Thanks. Very Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for calling, calling in. Thanks for calling. Bye. So how do you explain to people in the workplace what mediation is? Because we had a show here a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, and uh, it was on meditation or mediation, because people mix those words up. You say the word mediation, and they say meditation, what are you doing, sitting on a a rug and flying around? Absolutely true. I'm I'm laughing, because when I first started my my practice, my sister and her best friend misread my materials. And they had this phone conversation about how much I must have gotten into yoga. <laughs> I, I think mediation. <laughs> it's, just, it's one letter difference. <laughs> That's all it is. I, uh, oh. yeah. I mean, you know, when you, th- although exactly, I've had, I've seen that word mixed numerous times. Uh, the the good news is the end the end goal with both is peace. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's the good news. <laughs> but yes, the the, the the mixing up of those words is is very commonplace. So how would you def- you know educate or inform? Yeah. Because they may have a certain mindset of what it is. Yeah. So in, with the mediations I do in the workplace, I would often describe it as a facilitated conversation, mm-hmm. and it's it's a process to get towards a facilitated conversation. Um, and when I say process, it's because I will meet with each of the parties individually before, and then bring them together. And so when I say facilitated conversation, uh, people get that um, uh, because it may be a situation where they don't feel comfortable just one-on-one having a conversation and having somebody there that's neutral and can help assist if, you know, things get out of hand. That's what they're afraid of, that things are going to get out of hand. And I assure them that my role is to make sure that it won't, you know, that I'll, and if it were to get out of hand, I wouldn't continue on. Um, and so I think that gives people comfort, knowing that there's a third person there who's in charge of the process. Right, and they're basically, the parties or the participants are responsible for the content. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think that terminology is important, and I, I will say from the position of being the lawyer or legally trained person on the panel, that mediation sounds legalistic. It sounds really formal to people, mm-hmm. and um, I would say facilitated discussion is great. Um, you know, getting together, meeting to try to reach a resolution, you know, try to solve this, just really working, having those good conversations at the beginning to understand where people are at 
Because that, I believe, is one of the most important things um, to have good preparation before you get everybody in the room and understand, make sure they understand what what they're getting into and that they have a comfort level. Yeah, with it. it's interesting what you were saying about um, mediation, the term being legalistic, um, because it just reminded me I've had a couple situations where. Uh, when the employee has been asked to be part of mediation, mm-hmm. that they feel like it's punitive. Right. That um, that the term mediation, you know, that it's going to go on their um, employment record, and it's like a, they feel like it's a, um, a it's, correct. It's going to be used against them. Yes, and it's and it's, it's judgmental. Yes, right. It's interesting. I have I have sort of a different experience on the term mediation. I've ventured into several. Uh, mediations and and people have actually responded. Now these are court-related mediations where I'll actually have people um, comment on the fact that they just they just didn't feel uh, mediation process would be effective. They didn't feel it was a process that was stringent enough mm-hmm. uh, versus going going and sitting or standing before a judge. And having lawyers or counsel represent them in the court of law. So mm-hmm. I, I've, I, I just, I find it interesting. I've, I've actually had the other side of it where people have not considered it to be a formal hmm. enough, formal enough process. Yeah, they, they want a, you know, like a mediation agreement, a memorandum, is not a legal contract, hmm. and people want that sense that mm, there's accountability at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you get a court order. It's perceived that a court order has that power of the judge to impose Correct. some kind of corrective measure, whereas a mediation, ideally, it doesn't have that context. Mm-hmm. So how do you get people, and it's voluntary, too. Correct. It's not a mandatory process in most jurisdictions for most practices of mediation. Mm-hmm. So how do you get people to voluntarily participate in something that doesn't seem to have that measure of... Anyways, we have three visitors tonight. Uh, I'll mix it around, Ron, Angela, and Debbie, just to give some sense of the equitable presence here. Rad. <laughs> rad. Ron, rad, Angela, I like and that. Debbie. Rad. We're rad. Is, is that what your new... Apparently uh, so. <laughs> it was Dar before. Yeah, yeah. no, it's rad. gone to rad. I think we're getting cooler but yeah, after every station would, break. It sounds so. like that. So, well, that's using both Ron and Debbie. Yeah. So we have to figure out something with AES first. Rad. ADR. 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 Yes. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Maybe. I have challenge with that because we talk about words. I don't, I don't even no, use no, the word. Appropriate, not alternative. Appropriate. I, that's absolutely I, I true. Appropriate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're totally appropriate for the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's happy to hear that. <laughs> absolutely. So if anybody wants to call in again, I'll put it out there, 416 and we'll get you engaged. So, well, you were asking about how we would, I guess, describe the mediation process to people, but more importantly, uh, how we could uh, ensure them that the process is real, tangible, tangible, exactly. It has some accountability. Correct. And the benefits. Correct, and the benefits as well. You know, whenever I'm I enter into a mediation. Uh, if I ever if I get some pushback on the process, I will explain to them, or at least try to highlight the benefits of mediation. You know, instead of instead of having a judgment rendered by either a judge or jury, this is an extremely 
unique opportunity for both parties or however many parties are involved in a dispute to decide on their own agreement, to build, draft their own agreement. Uh, that is a very unique opportunity in, in the system we live in. And a, ju- a judgment or a court order might not hold might not hold water. Well, for one, it's created by an independent person Correct. who is, you know, uh, not part of your circumstance, that doesn't have that sense of understanding the core of the deeper issues, Correct. the roots of those, Correct. and then imposes their decision on you. Exactly. So in our experience, it is mu- much more likely that the parties who actually draft the agreement will abide by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the I find in um, in workplace... Um, often the memorandum of understanding is a, um, a, it's like a rules of engagement yes. document in terms of how they will relate to one another. And rather than having their supervisor or somebody more senior tell them, okay, Ron, I expect you to do this. Angela, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. The two parties get to do it, them, come up themselves. And it may be different than the um, manager might have done. But the managers agreed to let them come up with something. So as long as they can see something and also identify how the manager will know when things have improved, but that's within the control of the two parties. And I think that's a very strong part of um, workplace media, uh, mediation. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to get people to the table, another to have them have a conversation, another to make decisions. The real challenge is after they leave the process, to have them follow through with right. what their decisions are. Exactly. So to commit to those. And so that's built a lot based on trust. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Do you want to say anything? I think Ron was speaking to the uh, word we were talking about on break is control. Uh, in um, what way? When people are in conflict, there is a loss of control, control of their emotions or control of what power they may or may not feel they have. So... By writing a terms of engagement, uh, it, it and, and through the process, if it's a really um, interactive and, and people are engaged in in a voluntary process from the front end, to have that result gives them control and gives gives them. You know, it's an and it can be very empowering, and that's uh, why I think a, a well done mediation can can be very tr- transformative for the workplace. So you use the word well done, yes. So Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is you know as, as we're talking about vocabulary, I guess that was No that was not meant to be um No, it, it, it it's just brought out that every situation's unique because the individuals involved are unique. And yes, ideally we want the parties involved to be able to create create or craft their own terms of reference, if you want to call it. There are employers that tell you or try to tell you or dictate to you, this is how I want it done. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you deal with that kind of challenge when it's contrary to your own value of approach? Hmm. I, I struggle with this in both sides of my practice and in investigation and the mediation side. And, and if I go right down to the basic, you are bringing in an independent third party. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm a yes person. So that's really tough to say, but I've found that if you can have that discussion um, and educate the client and manage the client expectations, then you can almost be uh, an arbiter or, you know, you're, you're using control to try to level it out and, and distribute the control yeah. a little bit in a, in a very 
mediator way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, <laughs> many, many employers feel that because they pay for the process, right. they actually own it and control it. Yeah. The, um, right. I, I also feel that ethically we need to say something. So I've had a situation where somebody said, I was called in for mediation, um, and they said, I want to get rid of this employee, mm-hmm. and but I want you to have a mediation. And so they had they had a hidden agenda, and I just said, I can't do this. And so we chatted further, and they decided that if the relationships between the parties did improve, that they would consider keeping the person on. And I was trying to get at whether they were being genuine about it or whether they were just giving me a line. So in that one, I did proceed with it because I felt that they would. But if they said, I'm going to get rid of the employee regardless, I, I would have, I think I would have turned it down because I wasn't willing to have a hidden agenda. Or, or create or contribute to something that you felt maybe was unfair. Correct. Or unjust in yeah. some way, if you want to and use that term. And not transparent. Untransparent? Mm-hmm. Un- un- <laughs> Non-transparent? Non-transparent. Yeah. So how is responsibility if you're doing a workplace mediation process determined as to whether it happens for the parties? Who, you know, sometimes parties may reach out to you or the employer reaches out to you. How is that sort of initiated and then constructed in some way? For me, uh, it's normally human resources that, uh, that would reach out and, um, and would uh, have a, uh, give me a, a briefing of what the situation was, and that would sort of be the entry point. And that's only part of the information because it's only their view of the situation. It's not the two parties' view. But that would be sort of the entry point. And then I would meet with each of the parties separately, each of the people separately, and then together eventually. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much the process, uh, I I would have to say, in any form of mediation where it's it's getting the call, Mm -hmm. uh, meeting with the HR person or whoever who is designated internally to sort of screen any any issues or conflicts in, within the organization and and having that initial conversation meeting with each party and and hopefully again this is a big question is uh, ensuring that they are ready to enter into mediation that's a topic mm-hmm. that we can probably get to as well because that's not always a certainty so what are, what are the how's the process constructed for each of you how do you do the process itself like do you do an intake or a pre-mediation meeting with the parties or one. I like to do pre-mediation. I, I, I'm not sure about, here we go, about terminology again. I like to meet with the parties. Individually in advance. Individually in joint advance. Session. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe never have a joint session. That would yeah. be another topic for another night, mm-hmm. um, depending on the, the parties' relationship and, and whether or not they want to look at each other. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, so uh, I probably have, uh, it's very paper heavy at the beginning. After the retainer, then it's in an understanding of what I'm there for. Then I turn to the parties. We have uh, meetings in advance um, <laughs> and uh, come up with a mediation agreement. So I, I like that to be a bit of a, a collaborative effort in itself and through that model, mm-hmm. a bit collaboration, whether it's conference calls. Um, drafts back and forth, so um, that's how I start, and then after those meetings have taken place, then meet with them in person. Yeah. Right. I have um, a, a lot of similarities, so I mentioned that it's usually HR that would reach out to me, um, but I often speak to, um, there's often a, another stakeholder, which might be the manager or somebody like that. That was the case when, when I said somebody wanted me to mediate when they wanted to get rid of the person. 
Um, and then I like to have at least two individual sessions with each of the parties, each of the people. I, I hate the word parties in the workplace. What, what I find is in the first session, people often just want to vent. They're angry at the situation. They just want to get it off their chest. Um, but if I can open the door a little bit, metaphorically speaking, so they can uh, consider that there might be another way of viewing the situation, then I feel like it's very hopeful. And in the second session, I work to begin to prepare them for the mediation, find out what they want to say, and we focus on language. And then we have the actual mediation. So I would have a, a two individual sessions with each of the people. And I find when I have more time with them, it often shortens the actual mediation because they've sort of worked through some of the thinking in their heads, and the mediation itself is sometimes a bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I, I would definitely have to say my process is very similar to what, what Debbie does. Uh, you know, the in- I find the intake segment uh, to be quite, quite valuable and important. Uh, it is an opportunity for both parties to sort of vent and, and just tell us their story we might have some a brief that's provided to us prior that's going to give us some detail, but it's certainly not the whole, the entire story. So that that allows us to really hear them out, and also you know to, in, to ensure they understand how mediation works, how the process will unfold, but also to really get a, a, a sense as to what their expectations are, mm-hmm. uh, because if the expectations are not realistic, uh, there has to be some more discussion there. That's, that's a good point. I would ask though, who, whose expectation, understanding of expectations and reality is it? It's it's we're ba- of course this is certainly based on our experience, but yeah. when when we when we have an understanding as to what the conflict is, uh, which we certainly do before walking in, we will we will be able to ascertain uh, if the expectations make sense, if they are truly realistic. There are some times when I'll when someone will ask for something that we know is is way off base mm-hmm. and although they might be positional on that we will we are there to have more discussion around that point and just open them up to the fact that and if it's not at that point where they can provide what they're looking for we'll give them time to think about it we know we will we don't want to add too much pressure to them on our first meeting of course though if you're provided that opportunity right. of time by the employer as well. As well, exactly. Because sometimes the, there is that pressure Correct. that they have that they try to impose on Correct. the process providers. But yeah. again, and that comes back to the education portion that yeah. I touched on a while back. Yeah. The, the employer, it's, you know, it's amazing when you, I didn't get a chance to comment on it, but when an employer will tell us, the service provider or professional, how we should be conducting our business. Mm-hmm. It's not unlike any other service provider out there who specializes, whether it's in medicine, uh, I'm not about to tell a surgeon how to pr- conduct a surgery uh, <laughs> if I enter the hospital. So I think I think we're hopefully, you know, through conversation, mm-hmm. we can have them understand that our, obviously our goal is to achieve the result they're looking for, but we, this is what we do. Are we having a workplace conflict here or not? <laughs> God. I think we're doing pretty good. I mean, the more people you get in the room, aren't there more different senses of understanding of the same thing? Always. And then whose is right? Mine. Of course. <laughs> There's no discussion there. Is that why you're in the middle? <laughs> telling you. So we're talking about workplace conflict and actually when it's situations when it may not be the answer. There are concerns that arise for each of you as professionals working within that sphere. What might those be concerns be? 
for me, it's power dynamics. And uh, if the power imbalance is, is so serious that I don't feel that a true mediation can take place where people are there and uh, coming to an agreement of, of their own volition, then that would be concerning. Yeah. Another one for me is um, a person's cognitive ability and ability to understand the situation. I had a situation where I thought the what happened was the um, I'd met with the manager and then I met with the individual, and the person was ranting uh, about why they were upset and almost and I, I expect people to be angry, but it was almost like I wasn't even there. And then when I would ask him questions, he wasn't following my questions, and I would repeat uh, two or three times, and occasionally he would answer my questions, and many times he mm-hmm. didn't. And I really felt that the person um, wasn't a good candidate for mediation, that if I had him in a room with his manager, that there was a great potential of making the situation worse, that the manager might misinterpret it rather than seeing it, that got the person had some cognitive issues there, that um, that he may she may have felt that he was mocking her or not taking it seriously. And I, I felt um, partway into the process, I felt that mediation wasn't the right approach. And this was after spending... Uh, an hour and a half with the individual. I mean, that person, when you sense that and recognize that, that might be already a cue that that might have already contributed to why they're in that kind of dilemma already. Oh, in terms of my experience with them? Well, yes. The, yes. yes. That might be the, the backstory of why there is, quote, this issue of why they're seeking yes, a, yes, a process. Yes, I may have been seeing it in live in terms of what that <clears throat> yeah. person does to contribute to um, situations in right. relationship. Exactly. Uh, in terms of any other concerns that you might? Well, you know, I, I had touched on it um, prior in terms of expectations. I mean, I think that certainly is um, uh, something that has to be highlighted and, and noted during the intake process. If if we feel uh, that moving forward with mediation is is a t- is is ready or mm-hmm. they're ready for it, um, and that's that's one for sure. But to Debbie's point um, and to Angela's point, it's there's there's numerous things that can arise. It's it's the the mindset of the person, um, you know, the uh, just the general demeanor of the person. If they're if they're if you can sense intention to negotiate and discuss the issues uh, or not. If there's someone who's who's, a, who's very positional on the fact that they're right and and the other person is wrong, uh, that mediation could actually could possibly harm even further uh, mm-hmm. an already fragile um, relationship. So it's there's there's several things that we just have to, uh, and I think it really comes through experience. To, to, to be aware of and exactly. recognize those. And to have exactly. and develop your assessment skills. Another right. one um, that I made reference to earlier wa- was some of the larger context. So I've had mediations where I felt that the organization's roles and re- or that unit's roles and responsibilities was contributing to the issue. So the person, this particular person, had responsibility over the other individual who he was having conflict with, but no authority. And that dynamic was contributing to the conflict. And as long as that structure remained in place, I think it was hard to actually move, remove the conflict. And I, and I um, and it was addressed with the more senior person to say, I think there's broader things here contributing to the conflict. So when a situation does reach the level as a concern that you have real questions as to proceeding, what do you do then? 
in the one example I gave where I, I felt the person didn't have the cognitive ability, um, I felt I needed to say something to the individual. So towards the end of it, I just said, you know, sometimes mediation isn't the right approach. Um, and we assess that, and there are other things that can be done um, uh, to manage conflict, for instance, one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, so I will um, be coming out of this and making recommendations to the human resource person. And then I immediately after um, contacted the human resource person who had hired me to say, I don't think this situation is, is right, and I explained why. And she kept saying, well, are you sure you can't do anything? And mm -hmm. I said, I tried for an hour and a half, and I just feel it has the potential to make it worse. And I said, you know, are you, I have other recommendations. I think that one, one option might be to um, have one-on-one -on -one coaching. coaching with yeah. this individual person. Plus, I also felt that there may have been some mental health issues going on. And I just want to say, I don't think all mental health issues are problematic. It was this particular kind that this individual had. It depends had. on what degree and what depth, Correct. of course, because just because it does not, from my perspective, being... That's it. Uh, absolutely. So uh, it was this particular person and how it was manifest. Right. Right. And uh, Angela, in terms of when a situation and you feel you it's uh, a no-go, you need to terminate the process or stop it, how do you engage that? I think I follow the same pattern. Um, do an assessment, get back to the, the, con the client contact, have that discussion, give other um, options, and, um, you know, just... What we were talking about earlier, it's, it's our professional and ethical responsibility mm -hmm. to to be upfront, to be honest if something isn't going to work. And yes, try to help them through it, but um, it, it circles back to what we were saying at the very beginning to a lot of times the the ask or the request or the retainer is to come in and fix it mm -hmm. and so it, it goes for full circle from that point where you've reached where you've realized this isn't um, going to work back to the whole introductory process and managing the client expectations managing the people involved their expectations and then it's not so much of a shock if it comes around and you say no, yeah. this isn't this isn't the right place. This isn't the right time, or this isn't the right process. But perhaps these options would work for you at this point. So, so you say that to the employer. How do you communicate to the individuals who are the ones who are primed to while you're there? How do you say this process is not going to go forward? Sometimes I think it's quite obvious. <laughs> but <laughs> let's let's. <laughs> yeah, got something tangible, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, I'll I'll talk about a caucus. I, most of the clients that I've dealt with in my whole career have been unionized, so it's very labor relations focused. Um, if you know, if I see that there's a better option, you know, sometimes, and that goes back to what I said earlier. Like I'm I'm the appropriate, not alternative, in the alter in the ADR here. Um, because I think that uh, you really have to see what the appropriate dispute resolution is for that time and place and an issue. Or the, um, and those people. And those people. So uh, it's almost, in, you have to have a lot of options, and that comes from our experience. Um, so, yes. So, you know, we could have a longer conversation. Uh, much longer. Well, longer. <laughs> We've got a lot of stuff we could cover. Yes. And there are times, though, when you do your process 
at some point you may need to not move forward with it. And that's the point of tonight in some way. Uh, anything you want to add in terms of what we talked about to leave as a, a message for the, anybody listening? If, if I may quickly, yes, there are there are definitely going to be situations where it's not appropriate to move forward. Now that could be based on timing, which means we could we could be looking at at doing something down the line or process a different form of counseling, whatever it might be, just to try and address the issues. But absolutely, yes, there's that would be. Uh, that would be all yeah. I can add, actually. And and just we were talking about why you know situations where mediation might not be the right approach, but there are other approaches you can use to address conflict. So, um, conflict management coaching, peer coaching, um, other things. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't come back to it. Right. At, a, at a different point in time. At a Correct. different point in time, yeah. you're there. Your door is open. Your you know your phone lines open so everybody processes the, sa- yes. the same thing in their own way absolutely yeah. and, so at the, and at their own pace yeah. so i want to thank the three of you for uh, coming and i think uh, we should uh, have a ongoing conversation together and another oh, one about this yeah thank you yeah. That's that's it was great to be here all thank right thank you so much thanks. yes thanks thank very much thank you've thank been you. uh, listening to mediation station on chha 1610 m